welcome to the Read Optional Podcast, taping this on a Thursday morning East Coast time. I am joined on the line by Sports Illustrated's Connor Raw. Connor, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. You have some of the coolest decor of anyone I've ever done a podcast with. This is the glorious thing of Zoom. When I, I mean, like everyone now, it's been like a decade of doing podcasts forever. I did them on Skype, no in person, unless it was the Combine. And it was always faceless. And now people arrive to me with a face and it still weirds me out. So I'm like, oh, now I have to act as if we're in the room together somehow. I can't just stare <laughs> at my notes the entire time they talk. But you are given access to people's personality more and certainly their backgrounds. And I know the listeners can't see this, but you have some really cool decor. Yeah, so this, uh, this like picture, this basketball player over my uh, right shoulder um, was from my favorite bar, um, in my hometown. And when it closed, I called the owner and I said, can I have this? And he said, sorry, someone else had already taken it. And uh, the funny surprise was that my parents knew how much I loved it. And the day that the bar, they found out the bar was closing, they ran and took it for me and they wrapped it up for me for Christmas. And the whole thing was like a big surprise. It actually still works. It's from like the the early eighties. It's a neon sign. If you pull that thing, there's like a bright blue neon thing comes on. So yeah, I had to fight with my wife to get that in the house, but uh, I, I keep it down here in my office. All right, so we're going to do hot seats today. I always come on this thing. People like give us super nerdy X's and O's analysis, go with Coach Vass and do four hours on the tight front. And sometimes I want to say, can we just discuss the fact that all these people who work their entire lives for this one job in this profession – they're going to get fired on a doink for a field goal this year. It is so close. Nobody's good. Nobody's good. I, I keep, um, everyone keeps saying it's like the 2007 college football season. You know, there's no good teams. And it's like, oh, they all keep losing and it's going to be a bit crazy. It's like, I think the books are just amazing and everyone's sleeping on how the books are so dominant and they're going to get their DBs back and they'll probably wipe the floor of everyone. Maybe not the Rams. Um, but we're going to have a ton of guys here because you always have four, five, six openings. We're going to have guys here who are fired based off two iffy calls, perhaps even a referee hip checking someone. You know, that's how tight it is this season. Um, so, the, the, and as I was going through them, I was like, okay, let's try and figure out who these guys are going to be. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. That guy feels like he deserves another shot. I, I think it's hard to figure out who's going to actually be the one who gets, uh, for lack of a better phrase, shit canned at the end of the season. Yeah. And, and so much of it, I mean, you know, that's kind of been my niche, um, you know, in, in the NFL world has really been funneled into coaching and, um, you know, understanding the processes behind that. And so much of it is political. It's what kind of owner you have. It's how involved the owner is. It's who is talking to the owner about his team and convincing him that or her that you're doing things right or wrong. And it could come down to, I mean, you know, we saw, what was it three or four or five years ago, you know, Chip Kelly, the Chip Kelly tenure really turning on like, you know, a refusal to go uh, to cancel practice for a Christmas party. You know what I mean? And, and, and things can like change. And uh, no, I think eventually he would have been let go. I think he was, you know, difficult to manage. And, and, you know, I think there were issues mounting there, but there's that one straw that breaks the camel's back. And I, we just don't know what that is yet for some of these teams. Now, for the Bears, for example, could that have already happened? Um, and could they already start to be looking there? And, you know, you wonder if some of these kind of embarrassing moments where Justin Fields gets sacked 25 times in a game, if that's enough and, and a mind was made up at that point, too. You know, it's, it's strange where, you know, a lot of these owners are business people, so they don't have that long view. It's just like, what are you giving me right now that either is good or bad? 
It's interesting because my world is always, well, originally scouts and then coaches. Um, it's funny because I remember going through the era when I was first coming through and it's like all the, everyone you say to me, just be friends with everyone. Cause at some point everyone works up the ladder and they'll be the head guys. And I was like, great, excellent, good idea. You get into one organization. I was in Boston, you get into the Patriots. Well, they're super successful. So nine of those guys learned around the league. And I was like, this is wonderful. Those guys do go around the league. And now I go into my phone and they all got fired. Like, they already are everyone's gone so i was i i say that to say i don't do reporting that's just not my bag not good at it don't really care about it but i do talk to these people and i i thought you know what i should do for this podcast let's go and find out what people are hearing let's see if we can find and break some news because where we are at in the cycle particularly with college what happens particularly when a college coordinator is moving to head coach if he's interviewing he has to put his staff together before the interview and you will hear famous ones where ed orgeron goes in right with this is my staff and then they go great and then he's like oh i've not called anyone and you know it was a dream staff and it wasn't actually a staff you know nailed down whereas usually they have yeah i'll go with you let me know if we get the gig um and obviously they try and pull guys from the league and stuff so I'm asking around and like, everyone's like, we have no idea. We don't know if we're going to be here. I don't know where I'm going to be. So in the league, usually they have a sense of like the vibe here is off. The Matt Patricia one's a great example. Two weeks in, they all knew, even if we win nine games, this is a wrap. Let's start looking now for what's going to happen. But even the guys in Denver who we'll get to in a bit, like, I think everyone just presumes they're going to be gone. And yet somehow that they've, they've got a decent record. They could win more games. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I guess we're staying for another year. Yeah, Denver's uh, particularly interesting um, because I do think that there are some good coaches on that staff who could probably climb the ladder elsewhere. But Vic is, for better and worse, a very old fashioned guy, right? You know, he believes in a hierarchy. Um, he's one of the few coaches that still is like, you have to be here until two o'clock in the morning, you know? And he's very old school, very regimented like that. And in a lot of ways, that's what John Elway wanted. Um, but he's going to need the wins to sort of. Uh, rationalize that decision to keep him around for another year. I don't think that the Broncos are patient enough. And I think that job is sort of still a marquee job in terms of just a blue blood franchise that they probably can't rationalize keeping him around if he misses the playoffs or doesn't come very close to making the playoffs, but they're coaching. Everyone's coaching for their lives there. That said, I think there's a lot of good coaches there that that's one of those staffs that I don't worry a ton about. Like I think all those guys are going to, uh, good staff you know that that's one of those weird teams they have a great staff everybody there is is a really good coach that i think will glob on somewhere else but um i just don't know if they can make it happen together in that environment it's also one of those strange examples there where it it's like positive nepotism which you know sounds weird but it's like he only got guys who either are friends or friends of guys he's coached before specifically because like this is the deal you remember how your dad was never here that's how it's going to be for you so it's like these are the parameters of the gig if you want to be one of these new school guys getting out at six like sean mcveigh good luck to you that's not how we do <laughs> things so it's like you know you know the deal in a sense so that's interesting um let's run through some of these buckets then i had first up the one and dones is there anyone we can think of who will go one and done? I think the two obvious ones would be Cully and Maya. Cully being yep. just like he was a placeholder in the first place. They never really wanted him. They figure out the Watson thing and they just reboot the whole situation. Maya being, you know, the 5,000 things that have happened away from the field that would be, and on the field, frankly, that would be he would lose his job. I, I, 
I was putting together a list to r- rattle through these. And then I was like, there's too many for me to be bothered going through. And I know everyone kind of knows them, but the one I still can't get over is him admitting after the draft, he wanted Kadarius Tony and not the player he just drafted and handed $25 million to. It's an all timer from him. Um, the one and done's then from you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, there was whispers in Houston, I think way back to the beginning of, like as soon as the Cully hire was was formulated that, you know, and again, I mean, this could just be, you know, chatter, whatever it is, but it's one of those things where I I would expect Houston, and this is not me reporting this or anything. This is just my opinion and my read of the situation. I would expect them to make a run at Josh McDaniels, right? And, you know, I think that probably makes the most sense. Um, that's probably one of the few places where he could go and immediately feel comfortable. And that's been a big leap of faith thing for him. But yeah, I mean, I think Coley, you know, it was sad. You know, I, he's a guy that really, you know, wanted to climb the ladder, really thought that he had a crack at this and won that first game. And I do think he's having them play harder than the roster dictates. Like, I do think he's doing a good job, but I just think that they have bigger visions for that. And it's weird. Their rebuild isn't necessarily working out. Um, I think the way that they've planned already, I think they probably wanted to get more equity at the trade deadline for some of these guys. But um I do think they'll end up making a, a change after this year for sure. You think it has to be someone Casario is basically friends with? Yes. Yeah. I think that they're, I mean, Jack Easterby too has so much influence in that organization. And I think they're going to stick to a very like insular vibe there. And, but that goes a flip way too, right? If you're a new, if you're a prospective head coach and you know, you only have one shot at this, is that the job that you're going to take knowing that, they probably are always looking in New England and saying like, well, we need to do things more that way. So why don't we just hire, you know, if Brian Flores got let go in Miami or if Bill O'Brien completes coaching, well, not Bill O'Brien, but um, that's a bad example. But, you know, if any one of these other guys sort of kicks back to us, um, you know, I'm thinking about Jared Mayo, for example, as another head coach in waiting there. And so, you know, can we get that guy instead? And so I, if I was another head coach, I would be very wary of taking that job. I don't think I would take that job. Yeah, you have constantly, you're worried if you're not in the right group text. It's like, well, are, mm-hmm. they, are they just bullshitting yeah. with McDaniels on a Tuesday morning about yeah. draft prospects and I'm not involved in that one? It's a weird one because the teams that have done this across sports, you know, they get mentioned the same breath as the Astros, the Cubs, the 76ers and all that. All those guys did at least, they, it was kind of like, it's like an insular Goldman Sachs way of things where it's like, we're on the top strand and you're an employee. You are just the coach. So they can't like Joe Madden. I know that he's considered like an off the wall thinker and stuff like that with the use of the bullpen and all baseball stuff. I'm not that familiar with, but he was not like Theo, you know, he's still an old school guy. It was still like, you got to be on the bus at eight in the morning because that's how we do things. Here. I don't care if the games at night, that, that, those that they've usually done a decent job of being like we're the new school but we go and get the old school and we separate the front office and the coaching staff that's the divide we bring in it's not one and the same so it's interesting that they seem so that they really buy into culture in a sense it's like we're gonna do market inefficiencies but culture is everything but it has to be this culture from the northeast we just don't have the power positions there yeah yeah, I, that, that's a really interesting way of putting it. And, you know, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're right. I mean, 
the Patriots were the original market inefficiency team in the NFL. You know, they were building a middle class at the time when no team had a middle class in terms of like that, that players in the 50th percentile of the payroll and being able to load up on experienced veterans in critical positions. And so I think that's certainly the, the idea for Houston. I think that's, that's why they want to accumulate some draft capital so they can start going out and getting these guys and turning this thing around quicker. Um, But you're going to need the right head coach. You're going to need the right environment. And, you know, you're going to have to decide, for example, like I, I, I can say with fair amount of certainty, like Josh McDaniels does want to be a head coach again and is going to go out there. And, it, you know, I think he knows, like we talked about before, who he might pick for his, like his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and all that stuff. But, um, you know, it, can he bring that same vibe? Um, can he do exactly what Casario and Easterby are hoping for, you know, and, and that's sort of the thing is, you know, it's going to be how they outline their own expectations. Cause that's a, that's a dicey situation, you know, um, even after you get rid of Deshaun Watson, you know, I don't know uh, how comfortable of a place that might be right now. Uh, on urban, is he going to save his job here? They have an easy schedule the rest of the way. And it feels like he's going to win three, four or three games, maybe more Trevor looking great. And everyone in the building's like, why did we play so well? He's coming back next season. Yeah, I, um, you know, I wrote this this morning, you know, we picked a couple of teams that are going to have strong second halves. And, you know, this is not necessarily based on, you know, coaching skill, but I I have the Jaguars going three and six down the stretch to finish at five and 12. And I think that that completely legitimizes a second year which is strange because the Jaguars are a very smart ownership group. And I don't, I think that they could be able to see past the fact that you just have a really bad schedule over the second (laughs) half of the year. Um, The Buffalo win will complicate things, right? Cause they're a good team. They beat a good, uh, they beat one good team in a, in a very weird fashion, but you know, I would not give them a second year. I think that you mentioned the Kadarius Tony thing. I mean, there is, you know, there's so many examples. You're down 24 nothing, and you score uh, with plenty of time left, and you don't go for two to make it a three-score game. And, like, you know, there were times on the sidelines where, you know, he would just be holding the red challenge flag, and everyone would be screaming at him. And, you know, he's not – it doesn't seem like listening to any, like, game management coach. And, like, he just seems so out of it. And, um, you know, I, it, that, those would be the things that would concern me. You know, I, you know what he did off the field – whatever you can say that a million other coaches have probably done something similar to that, um, but just didn't get caught. Um, but you know, I, does he have the locker room? Uh, you know, guys were laughing at him after that. You it's know, a fascinating know. test case of of young quarterback power because Trevor Lawrence is his own guy. And him and Tony Khan are super duper tight. That's the son of the owner who basically runs the thing on the day-to-day or at least has massive involvement on the, the big picture of the day-to-day. As weird as that sounds, very political that. It's like, I'm the key advisor who doesn't actually send the emails, but you have to come to me to approve everything day-to-day. Um, <laughs> and there's some stuff happening with that team specifically in the game plans that is incompetent they don't hand the ball off correctly on play action they they run stuff they run stuff on the outside in their play action game that you physically cannot run in the NFL that should only be running college cuz you don't have the time to run it in the NFL that is like stuff that some they have real coaching people in that building i know everyone says like he brought all his college guys there are guys in that building who've been at the seahawks for a long time who should be able to say you cannot run this in the nfl it's just not only impractical you're gonna get the guy hurt 
So I, I do wonder how much of that comes into the final equation of like, look, it's just the wrong guy. Let's just go get Byron Leftwich. He's probably going to be better at this. He'll probably be here four or five years. Give Trevor a chance. Um, and I, I think it's going to be more that, right, of does Trevor flex his power? Because owners, no matter how smart we think they are, it's all ego-based. They went and got the guy, right? He must have killed the interview. They're not going to want to say they're wrong. They're not going to want to say they're wrong. You're exactly right. And, you know, uh, I don't know what Urban's contract, contractual situation is, how much the cost to get out of that, um, you know, but I, I think that uh, the Jaguars have had a reputation for being pragmatists almost to a fault. You know, I would say that they probably hung on to Gus Bradley a little bit too long, um, you know, but that said, I mean, you know, this is a situation where if you burn two years of Trevor's rookie deal, I think that you're doing the organization a tremendous disservice. And if you let Urban run a second draft, um, you know, I, I, I just think you're going to be wasting time and equity. I mean, they're going to have a top five pick again this year in a really deep, um, more thoroughly studied class that can upgrade your defense instantly. And so, yeah, I, I, I would go. I've advocated for quarterbacks for a long time. Flex your muscle, you know, uh, especially while you still have it. Go up to the owner's suite and say, like, I want this guy out of here because it's either that or look at what's already happening to Justin Fields. You know, <laughs> like, you don't want that to happen to you. You know, you don't want to be, you know, look what, um, you know, look at Jameis. And, you know, he landed in an okay spot, but like some of these guys are, you know, just struggling for that second and third contract. And it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, and it's, it's a rare ownership group where you could probably call them and they'd pick up. You know, that yeah. certainly is not happening in Tampa. You're not calling a Glazer and he's like, yeah, get, get Jameis on the line. This is just not happening. <laughs> um, it is happening in Jacksonville, I think. Yeah. Um, th this is the, the, the pool of people I'm calling. I don't know what to make of it. This is where I'm just so confused. We'll start with Brian Flores and the Dolphins, I guess, because it's just so... It's such a strange situation that to be where they are at now, which is essentially the same as the year they tried to throw a season away, not the staff, but the, the, the people upstairs, for it to look this bad. I, I wrote this piece earlier this week about how teams are inverting the downs now, and Brian Flores is one of the guys who really championed this in the NFL. First down is our attack down. That's how you win on third down is winning first down. He runs all his cool, creative defenses on first down, and they're really good on first down this year. And then terrible the rest of the time. That is impressively bad. It is really hard to be dominant on first down and stink on the other two downs. The reason teams are good on third down and people cite that is because they beat you up on first down. <laughs> Somehow the Dolphins are awful on the second two. It makes almost no sense with that talent level. So I just don't know what's going on there. We can get into the offensive stuff if we want to. That's just a complete mess of, of Flores' own making. Would they really pull the plug on this thing, you think? I don't know. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to be a re really fascinating, it's going to be a really fascinating sort of test case on owners sticking to their word, right? Because this was the thing. It was a round table before the season and it was, Hey, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to break it. We're going to break it down and we're going to build it up and you have to give us time. And he said, okay. Um, now, we're two years into this. One year was better than expected. The second year you came within a game of the playoffs. The third year now, the owner's already calling Deshaun Watson the night before the, the end of the trade deadline to try to microwave the process. And maybe two is not your guy, um, you know, long term. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some, ob there's some obvious regret there for not taking someone like Justin Herbert. And I, I get that and I understand that. But Stephen Ross is going to have to separate that into two buckets. It's like, what, what is what is his involvement in personnel? What is Chris Greer doing? Um, and 
you know, does he still have the locker room? And, you know, I do think that he's a respected guy. Like I, I do think that, you know, if you got the right people in place and you stopped nitpicking on the franchise, like I think they'd probably be okay. They'd be able to turn around next year, but I don't know. I, I think if you're Ross, your hands are probably tied. You probably can't do anything this year. You probably have to give him one more season. This is where owners are the be all end all. Um, I know you've written about Ross before last fortnight, three weeks or so. I've written about him too. There's just a stench about that place. It's like if you guys just showed competence and lost games, you could still probably go and get Rogers, Wilson, Watson, let's say, whoever's available in the offseason. Now you've made it seem like guys aren't in control. You don't know what you what they're doing. You watch Les Sneed in LA and it's like Von Miller, boom, done in the chef the tweet. No one knew about it. No one knew it could happen. Meanwhile, we got like a tick talk update day by day of how much ross was in on a quarterback who didn't play for his team yeah it's like they set the whole tone for the thing they've made this now seem i think so much worse than even the on-field product has showed and is it you know that it's it's one of the weirdest things right it's one of the most ideal destinations in the nfl um from a family standpoint like a players want to be there you know they want to live there they're all going to retire there anyway and so, you know, they want to go down there, but the stadium's crap, you know, the, um, the owner, especially the way that he sort of kicked the responsibility then, like, I want Deshaun Watson, but Brian Flores and Tua Tungavailoa, you're the guys that have to talk about it every day, you know, you guys are going to go down there and deal with it. And so I think that goes a long way for players, you know, they, uh, they see that. They were like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, you know, you probably did have a shot at someone like a Rogers. And I do think Rogers is going to be on the move this year, but next year, but um, I, I think that's gone, you know, and I, you know, Russell Wilson, again, I mean, would you offer him an owner, a piece of ownership? I mean, you know, I don't know what the deal would be there, but it would take a lot to get someone like that there. And so I don't know. I, I, I think almost Jetsian sort of like where you're the owner, the way that he steps in it, scares people away right like and it's yeah. just um and it, it leads to like just long-term stretches of middling play the only thing they've got going in their favor which is a very odd thing to have in your favor one the denver ownership situation is so iffy that who knows what's going to happen there in terms of moving pieces who you get in the door and all that stuff the second thing is ross loves stars he's a star guy it's why he brought the f1 he wants to hang out with lewis hamilton that's that's all he wants to do is be able to bring his friends to show hey here's lewis hamilton isn't this cool (laughs) you know if aaron Rodgers believes he can sit with the owner then that is maybe that is a thing it's like hey it's me and you running the organization aaron you know we're doing this you yeah bring whoever you want to bring i'll send the draft picks i own that those are my draft picks (laughs) that is the only the only thing they have in their favor is the sycophancy towards the owner if you're willing to to eat a little bit that as a quarterback you would have an incredible amount of power over the whole building you could be dan marino you know You could have a statue built of you outside the stadium, you know, life would be good, but I don't know. I, I, I would have to say if you had to, if I had to make a decision right now, I would say Flores probably hangs on for one more year. If he does go, is the, is the two OC thing, what's going to cost him his job? Maybe, you know, I think the inability, I think that was probably if, if you had to put everything in buckets, I think his greatest failure has been an inability to find an offensive coordinator that can, maximize Tua right and and that that might be hard Tua might not be an NFL quarterback like he he may have never been an NFL quarterback but once you know as one NFL coach told me the second you make that decision the clock the stopwatch starts you know 
and the microscope is bigger. And if you screw that up, you're done, you know, and, and everybody knows that, you know, you know that going in. Uh, so I think that uh, that probably ends up being his biggest fault. Right. You know, and I think that that was um, uh, it was tough. You know, I think there were some guys that probably, you know, right now it just seems like they're just forcing a lot of RPO stuff because they know that's what Tua can do. But, you know, and he's making these pretty incredible tight window throws on these things, but the defense knows what's coming. And I feel like, you know, anybody with that kind of mobility and arm strength and some of the footwork um, ability that he has, you can find something, some way to move the ball, but they're, they're just kind of, I don't know their offense is so pigeonholed. And I think that that's going to end up costing him if it does. Yeah. The thing with the identity is, I mean, this is funny. I have sat down twice the past two weeks. This is what's brilliant about when you just can do your own thing. You don't have the editor who you you pitch the story to. He says yes, and you have to deliver the thing. I have twice sat down, no word of a lie, to write this story on the Dolphins offense because I think it's fascinating, the design of the thing, because they were very, very, very confident that they had figured this thing out, that they were going to show the league because they're basically running the triple option in every play. It's just RPOs mm-hmm. instead of the traditional triple option. And they thought they were going to blow the doors off the league with Tua Tugavailo and they would be cackling all the way to coaches of the year and everyone's getting champagne and everyone's getting new jobs. That's what they thought was going to happen in the offseason. That's no word of a lie. That's probably why two of them have the title. They'd both go and get great gigs somewhere, right? So for it to fall this flat on its face is interesting. Um, So yeah, I was going to say, I've twice sat down to write it and it's so depressing because it is so blah and so gross to watch. I've just decided I can't do this. This is bad for my mental health. I will be sat in bed all night wondering why on earth did they call that four plays in a row? They call the same stuff four or five plays in a row because yeah, it's got three options. So it could end up, you know, looking like four different plays could go in four different places and you're playing professional players and professional DCs and Sean McDermott looking around going, do they really just do that to me? It's almost disrespectful (laughs) to the defensive guys. It's yeah. Uh, I don't know. And it's weird if your floor is that you're not stepping in at some point and saying like, Hey, like I practice against this every day and you know, (laughs) I, I can stop it, you know? And uh, you know, so yeah, no, I I agree with you. I, uh, I, I think it's really interesting. The other guy I cannot figure out is the Zimmer situation because this Zimmer thing feels like it's going off the rails now and that they've almost come to the end of this cycle and they're going to say, okay, we tried the Kirk and the Zimmer thing. We tried to re-microwave the defense this year. We're at the end of our run. Um, but then you dig into it and you're like, Mike Zimmer's still really good. He's got that defense playing way above its talent level. I know they've lost Daniel Hunter now, so it's going to be really rough. Kirk Cousins is playing really well, just not in big moments on national TV where he always just vanishes for some reason. And they've lost five one-score games. So it's like, how much of that is a bounce of the ball? How much of that is one throw you want back? How much of that is one R? We should have called Tampa two and not six on that one. You know, it's like one thing... I don't know. It just, there's a, there's a feeling there that it's at the end of the line. It's like, I think they're still pretty close. I do too. I mean, I think Mike Zimmer is one of the best head coaches in the NFL. And I think like if I was, um, I don't know, like, like if I were the giants, for example, you know, and he, he got cut loose. Like I would think twice about, you know, making a run at him, you know, a guy like that, because I think he would fit kind of what you're looking for. But I mean, I, I don't think the Giants are necessarily going to make a move, but it's just like, you know, 
But um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, uh, it's a it's a bad sample size situation. So many of his moments, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue uh, it's sort of like a, a long term Dan Quinn thing where some of his best moments just happen to be largely unfortunate events. And, you know, he would have been to a Super Bowl if it wasn't for a field goal here and he would have done this if it wasn't for that. And um, but I mean, what else do you want? I mean, this team is in playoff contention every year. They have a good quarterback. You know, they have stars on both sides of the ball. It's just like, okay. I mean, if you're an NFL team, I don't know. I mean, who else out there is taking you to the next level? I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's a, uh, I don't necessarily think that there's a Brandon Staley out there this year. Um, that's going to come in and, and really kind of pull up everything up by the roots and change things. So I don't know. I, I, I would hang on to him for at least another year. There's guys I like, but when you all chase the Brandon Staley, there's a, there's a worry you end up with the Nick Sirianni of the cycle. Sure. And you look at each other yeah. and go, did we interview this guy? Did we? Yeah. Did we? I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> I just want to quickly point this out on Kirk Cousins because this blew my mind today. Kirk Cousins, right? We all know it. It's all play action throws and it's all, you know, everyone's wide open down the field and he just lets the ball go and it's all easy. Kirk Cousins on non-play action throws this season. 247 dropbacks, seven yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He is the best non-play action thrower in the league this year. That's wild. What more could they need? It's like it's it's crazy. These guys should be dominating that division with what the with what the numbers they've got. Yeah, yeah. Especially you know, I mean, Green Bay has not looked like we thought. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the Vikings should be better. I agree with you. I think uh, you know, I, Mike Zimmer. Uh, is it's going to be one of those, it, not quite as severe as an Andy Reid thing, but I think that if Mike Zimmer wanted to coach again and the Vikings let him go, I think he would have success elsewhere fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move to the, we thought they'd be gone. These are guys I just assumed were going to be gone, and now I don't know what the situation is. Uh, you touched on Nagy and the Bears earlier. I mean, that, that again, feels a fait complete. but when everyone's writing these stories saying, look how good Justin Fields is developing, it's almost like, well... If Nagy was the reason it wasn't working before, doesn't he deserve some of the credit for the the, the move along to what it is now? Um, so I don't know. I I mean I've just destroyed Matt Nagy across his career, so I'm not an objective observer really on this one. So I'll let you have the floor. What's going to go go on in Chicago? Well, yeah, I, it was. I think it was Charles McDonald who said it was funny. I, I can't wait to watch Justin Fields and and say that everything he did was because of his own doing, and then all the bad things are Matt Nagy's fault, right? You know, and I think that there is a little bit of an attitude of that. Like, I just think he's like maybe not necessarily the most likable guy, you know, and I and I think that that might be his one fault. And I don't know. I mean, you go back throughout his tenure, and it's like, okay, um, how bad was Mitch Trubisky? you made the playoffs twice with, with him. Um, you know, the first time you had Fangio, so you had kind of this generational defense thing going on too, that was uh, really helpful, but is impossible to sustain. So I don't know. I thought it was probably, they were probably heading down the road of a divorce last year. The quarterback was sort of that, you know, let's have a baby to save the marriage thing. And then it, there is this weird sort of like back and forth where, Yes, there are some games that he looks okay, um, and then there are games that he looks awful. And in the games that he looks awful, um, it is both Nagy's fault and Justin Fields' fault, right? There are plays where he's not getting rid of the ball. He's not throwing it. But there are also plays where 
their offensive line is left in, you know, these single protection scenarios where he's just set out to get slaughtered. And so if I'm an owner, I'm thinking about a new stadium at some point down the road, you know, I think that sort of probably factors into it. I'm looking at fields and saying, okay, can he be better? Um, And if so, like, I'm going to start looking around here because there's, you know, 20 people here that are telling me they're quarterback gurus and they can make this happen for me. Is this one of those ones where you call CAA and you say, I don't know who represents who, but I'm just guessing they're all represented by CAA. And you say, hey, the top guy that everyone wants, let's say it winds up being, I don't know, Lefrich or he Morris or, you know, the, the up and coming guy instead. Let's say it's McDaniels. He, he, yeah, he's ready to go and be a head coach now. Unless you get the very top guy. Do you just then roll it back a little bit? Because they they are in a period sneakily now of this evolution. That defense is not good. They are terrible through the spine of the defense. They're going to have to really roll that thing over next year. It will not look the same as it's looked the past three years. So now it will become a team where quarterback's got to be good. Got to be good right away. Um, And so I wonder how much of it does Fields get a say and how much of it is, yeah, if we think it's a massive upgrade, we can go get one of these young guys we really like right now, we do it. But if it's neck and neck and we're just jumping into the pool of muchness, do we just keep it one more year? I mean, that would be the smart thing to do, but, uh, you know, owners are, again, weirdly impatient and instinctive, and they kind of just make strange calls. But, yeah, if if I'm the Bears, you know, I go out there and I say, okay, can I get, you know, I don't know. I mean, would would Nathaniel Hackett come here and coach this team? Um, If so, then, okay, great, let's do it, because he would help not only install the right offense for Justin Fields, you know, he'd probably put in that Shanahan system. He knows how to install it. He knows who to take with him from Green Bay. He could probably get, bring some people from that staff over. Um, or, you know, do, you know, I don't know, could I get Mike McDaniel, you know, or some guy like that where I know I'm installing something that's largely quarterback friendly that's going to bolster Justin Fields right away. If I can't get one of those guys, Maybe Byron Leftwich, you know, but um, if I'm Byron Leftwich, I'm probably not taking that job. Um, this is you my know, thing so. with the Bears. I'm like, how much of that? That's why I'd call the agents. I'd be like, does anyone have that in their top two jobs? It can't be because you don't even have the, the, the thing where the owner can lie to an interview and say, we think we got a shot at Rogers because it's less than happening. So at least yeah. if, if you're looking at Denver or somewhere else, they are, like, they're stacked on defense. So it's a bit different. But everywhere else, you can kind of say we might get a shot at one of the other guys if they if they come free for a trade. Right. And I think that would be part of the attraction with someone like Hackett, right? Is if he went somewhere and your franchise didn't have a quarterback, you would assume that your chances of getting Rodgers increased uh, very much so, you know? And so it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, but Chicago is not happening, you know? And, uh, you know, with the Bears, it's weird. I, I don't think it's a dream job for anybody. I think that's going to be a hard rebuild. Um, if Rodgers leaves, it's not as intimidating, right, because the rest of the division is bad, um, and you could probably turn it around a little bit quicker, but you're also down draft capital too. So I, I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm a coach, that wouldn't be in my top two. But, again, we've seen coaches that are so desperate for that head coaching job that they will take anything. And I I think that is – a majority of the market right now too so i think that that needs someone who knows it's gonna be a slog i would get mm-hmm. a second time guy i'd go and call leslie fraser say hey you yep. got plans for how to rebuild an organization now you've been through Five it goals. it's stunk let's go do it because this is probably gonna be rough for 18 months and then hopefully we come out on the other side like mcdermott did um, mm-hmm. I would not be asking a first-time guy to come and salvage this thing, which is what they'll do because they got a young quarterback and they'll say, let's go get a young guy to, to pair up with him. Um, mm-hmm. 
the Giants you touched on before, it's really strange because it, it feels like everyone's accepted Gettleman's gone. And then, but it's like Judge is just going to stay there. And then, what they would hire someone above Judge, then he's going to, we're going to do that classic Jets thing where they, they fire them in off cycles and they're constantly chasing their tail of hirings and firings. Um, give Gettleman credit, by the way. The only time he trades down the draft is so that his, his successor can have a draft pick. You know, you got to love him. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, I, that's why I think I, here's my thought on Gettleman I think they will either keep him or they will retire him to a higher position like a like a personnel position somewhere that would be my guess right the Giants are never in a million bajillion years going to outright fire Dave Gettleman and I think that Gettleman um, would not go anywhere else I think he's comfortable in his personal situation in in new jersey and wants to be around here in the northeast and so i think you know if he doesn't have anybody immediately jumping down his throat for consulting offers i think he would do some sort of senior personnel advisor position with the giants and they would probably give kevin abrams a crack at that job you know he's been sort of the you know they've tried to promote from within at that position um throughout their history you know and so maybe you give him a crack at it that's a tough sell for the fan base you'd have to do some other window dressing there to make it look like, Hey, we're changing the way that we're doing things where, you know, whatever you want to call it. But um, I think that would get some familiarity with judge Abrams was in on that process. You know, everybody still feels like handholding. And then maybe what you do is you get, you change offensive coordinator. Like that's your big off season move is like, Hey, you know, we're getting rid of Jason Garrett, but not in a way that we can say we're getting rid of Jason Garrett, you know, so <laughs> you like, try and get Jason Garrett, the Colorado job. <laughs> you just yeah, call well, every college I mean, in the country say, Hey, who fancies a Jason Garrett? Yeah. I mean, I think that there was probably, you know, he had that phantom interview with the chargers last year. Yeah. I mean, so, and everyone, you know, and I think that that might've been an effort to be like, okay, you know, like he, he's out there if anybody wants him. Um, but I just don't think that marriage is working. What's weird is, you know, I thought that Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator was going to be a top of the cycle guy this year. You know, I thought he was going to be potentially a head coach in 2022. That might take another year, but I think he's a good coach. You know, I, I would stick with him there, but I, I, I think you give it a shot with a new offensive coordinator, like Daniel Jones, was playing like a top 10 quarterback for like, I don't know, 30% of the season at some point um, is not now, but um, you know, I don't know. And you take one more crack at the offensive line, try to fix that. But, you know, I think this team could be okay. Um, but uh, the offense is just not, I mean, you talk about some of the plays that Jacksonville's running that are just broken from the start. A lot of that's happening with the giants where, the route concepts are just long and meandering and, you know, um, there's n really nothing kind of built in there to help Daniel Jones win on every down. No, it's one of the, the, the silliest offenses that's been instructionally, which is essentially, well, running isolation routes, but I wanted the ball out instantly, but we're still yeah. running a 15 yard dig on the backside. It's like, well, how'd you expect him to even figure to get to that? It's, it's just wild. Yeah. Um, the judge specifically, I think, I didn't have a great sense of the Giants fan base, not a fan base I have particularly familiarity with. They still on this guy? Because I know the whole thing was he's going to come to lunch pail and he just seems like a, a cartoonish version of a coach. And some people like that. Some people mock that. He's, he has written all over him that it would be like a The Athletic or the New York Post or whoever has like a 14,000 word story about how everyone quit on him and it's done and we're, you know, we're tired of the bullshit and the laps and all that stuff. And that's how he gets got is that everyone in the locker room just says, nope, no more. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they like playing for him. Maybe the fans are still in on, on this, uh, the bravado. 
Well, the problem with the Giants is always going to be that they're going to fall back on this is exactly what we thought about Tom Coughlin in 2005, the the year before or six, the year before they won the first Super Bowl with Coughlin, right? And that was the players were sick of the attitude. They were sick of the way he was treating them. They weren't winning. You know, Michael Strahan famously like called that meeting and told Tom he needed to back off and all that stuff. And I think the Giants are always, for better or worse, I mean, there's going to be a part of them that lives in the past, right? And I think with Judge, they're probably feeling like, okay, this is the same thing that happened with Tom. After the season, we'll ask him to change. And if he doesn't change, then we'll try to make a decision. But I think that they're extraordinarily wary of their recent track record, right? You get rid of Ben McAdoo after a year and a half. You get rid of Pat Shermer after two years. Um, you don't want to admit that you made that kind of mistake again. And I think that there's a definite weariness there that, oh no, we're, we're going to do this. The fan base, I think, is largely sick of him. You know, I think he's done some weird things, right? Um, blaming the headset for malfunctions is <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's just like you can't come out and say that we're a team that doesn't make excuses for anything and then make excuses for things, you know? And even if it is a valid excuse, um, you know, the NFL is not saying it is, um, but, you know, then every other coach in the league probably would have said, hey, yeah, I've, I've had that problem too. This is this is bullshit. But, you know, there nobody else seems to be coming out backing. I mean, that, there's just so. no way, no way a human being in that profession wound that tight. And Joe Judge is extra tight, even by the standards of that profession, is not going off in game if by week seven he's still having. There's no way. You don't let two weeks go by without mentioning it in a press conference like we're having with Tribble. A leak comes out that you've sent a memo to the league that this is week three of it happening. To say you get to week seven, week eight, and like that's the reason it's been happening the entire season, it's just... Yeah, that's an all-timer. Yeah, and and unfortunately, based on the way you came in, I thought his initial pitch was very good. And if I am a, um, you know, if I'm a coaching agent, I pat myself on the back for getting him that job because his idea was I'm a teacher, right? What was the, all the stuff that we heard about him? I used to be a grade school teacher. I can relate to, I know how to get information into people's brains. And, you know, he had all those weird drills where you're like taping stuff to your hands, tennis balls to your hands and all that stuff. And it's like, okay. I can buy that story. Like you're going, you're going to be one of the few coaches that actually makes me better as a player and not just has a scheme and we all follow it and we win. Um, it just hasn't happened. Like you can't bill yourself as that. And then you lose games on offsides penalties or, you know, all this other stuff. And so you, you've sort of like complicated your own narrative a little bit, if that makes sense. More special teams penalties than any team in the league. You cannot have that happen as the special teams coach promoted to head coach. Um, yeah. Last one in this category. Uh, we mentioned him before, Vic Fangio in Denver. Um, just such a strange one. Uh, I, like anyone who is involved in the world of scheme writing or has ever been in the sport, Vic Fangio is like one of the hallowed saints of the profession. Everyone loves him. He is a genius. Um, very weird to be feeling himself so much after that Cowboys game. And very weird schematically to be out there as if you did something different when they ran the most basic thing ever and they guys won. He's taken an yeah. awful lot of schematic credit for things that was, we're running man coverage and my guys beat their guys, which no one anticipated. Even Dak. Dak was like, what's happening right now? We should be winning these matchups. Then to come out and be like roasting Mike McCarthy to the point where Mike McCarthy's laughing like, okay, yeah, we'll see that again. Just man coverage. It, it, very, very peculiar. Very funny. I mean, Vic is an original. I mean, he is... Uh... 
you know, he, you know, he had that fight with John Harbaugh earlier this year uh, about the, you know, trying to get the hundred yard rushing game and stuff. Um, he was the one that, you know, just Urban Meyer told him that it's like playing Alabama every week. And then he just said it at a press conference. And like, I think that's what I love about having like a 68 year old guy as your head coach. Like he just doesn't care. He really doesn't care. No. I mean, you know, and I think there's a beauty in that. I think he probably doesn't make it to next year one of two ways. I think if Denver finishes with a top like two or three defense, uh, he stays because John Elway's desire was always to have somebody who I don't care whatever else is going on. I'm hiring one guy on one side of the ball and you need to be an absolute expert at that. And we can figure the rest out. If he can deliver a top five defense at the end of the year, I think he stays. Um, if he makes the playoffs, I think he stays. If neither, neither of those two things happen, I think they probably fold up the wings and they make a run for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think that the Rodgers play, and you just build the whole organization towards that route, right? It's like like you said before, you go and get Hackett, you float out, hey, we're going to have new owners. You want to try and get some stake in that? Does Shailene yep. fancy having a, an ownership stake in, in, uh, in a brewery in Colorado? We can engineer that for you. Whatever you guys need, you let us know. Yep. We sort it out. Um, and that's got him written all over it. Uh, particularly yeah. if Peyton comes into the ownership group, which would be interesting. Um, mm -hmm. It's an odd one. I almost feel like that's what they want to happen. That is probably long-term the thing they think would be best for them. Um, oh, and and the yet he's probably right, going to because... win himself into keeping the job. <laughs> that would be the ultimate like uh, stubborn old man thing to do, right? <laughs> is to make it almost impossible to fire you in that situation. But I, and I hope he does. I mean, I really hope he does. I think he's an original. I think he's good for the league. Um, but, um, and like you said, I mean, sort of one of the hallowed saints of defensive scheme, uh, you know, the disciples, Brandon Staley and all the, all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think probably you're looking at Rogers and you're saying we can probably get three good years out of this. Um, you know, don't have to be vaccinated and then no, I don't, I'm kidding. Uh, Rogers, but, uh, by the way, it, you know, we are talking as though like you've got to get Hackett or somebody knows. I mean, for all we know, he might say, yeah, go get me the best defensive guy in football on that side of the ball for once. And I'll have this side ball. of the ball and everyone high fives at the end of the Super Bowl. You know, it's, yeah. that sounds like a yeah. pretty good recipe too. Yeah. Um, these guys I have down as the maybes, we can rip through these because I, I another one where I'm like, maybe could these guys be in trouble? This one, Ron Rivera in Washington. I don't think he is because they brought him in for a higher calling than that. It's basically, can you be the dad, you know, and sort this organization out and be the front-facing dad and also figure things out behind the scenes. But something is really off there in a strange way. The way their players play is bizarre. The, a lot of the communication stuff is still not being corrected. There's a lot of guys just standing around looking at each other. And I know you've got all the behind-the-scenes situation that means that they probably just cannot physically make any kind of change. But this is not the way I think anyone expected to go, even with the Fitzpatrick injury. I don't think anyone expected to look like this. Like, I just always assume they would be hard-nosed, tough out, no issues defensively, and we'd just be like, well, they keep turning the ball over four times again. What do you expect from them? It hasn't really been like that. No, I think they're yeah, – you're right, though. I mean, Ron Rivera is – He's there for a different purpose, um, you know. Yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, you know, he's there. Um, you know, Ron Rivera is there to make the organization look professional. I don't necessarily think they care. Um, I'm sure they care, but, I, you know, they lost their starting quarterback. You know, there's a lot of excuses they could make for this year. I think his probably big move there is doing a change at defensive coordinator at the end of the year and, and letting Jack Del Rio go. Um, and then you could rationalize that moving forward. They're going to need him to carry them through the rebrand. You know, I think that's a big thing, you know, 
um, for them, whatever they end up going with as a team name, you know, I think, uh, and, and just sort of ride out the scandal because, you know, as long as, you know, Congress is trying to get these emails, you know, like who the hell knows what's going to happen. You're going to want Ron Rivera there because I think he can handle the situation. And so I think he hangs on and maybe what you do is you, uh, Chris Harris, their defensive backs coach, who I know they really, really like and are afraid to lose. Maybe you give him a crack at the uh, at the DC job. You let Jack Del Rio go, and, and that's your big change. The other guy I had in here is Zach Taylor. Now I listened to a podcast you did. I can't remember if it's this week or last week, and you were you were apologizing publicly to Zach Taylor, which which miffed me, Connor, because. Uh, like I said with Nagy before, I've been hypercritical of Zach Taylor this season because I think they are the least helped team offensively by scheme and coaching. I think defensively, as I've written about a bunch, they do some really fun, cool, creative stuff on the back end, which is which is not what at all I expected them to be. They have the best safety tandem in the league outside of Buffalo, and they'd be much, much, much better on that side of the ball than I expect. And I will give him some credit because the head coach, you've got to sign off on that stuff. But offensively, I mean, not only is it bad design-wise, it's the most predictable tendency-based offense in the league to an almost embarrassing proportion that is essentially, you know what we're running, Joe will bail us out. And I just yeah. don't know. If I'm Joe Burrow, I'm like, man, I work with Joe Brady. Can we? I feel like Joe Burrow has the kind of personality that's like, you know what, this guy's nice and all, but he doesn't help my job day to day, and it hurts getting hit. So I'm going to go and call someone and say, nice guy, let's maybe shuffle him to the side. And I think we can get someone pretty special in there. Because if I'm looking at that job as someone from the outside, I know there's the whole thing about budget and staff and they're just cheap and that does make it, that does complicate things. But if you're just looking raw talent and that's your base and you get the opportunity, here's Joe Burrow, that's your starting point in a, in a job interview. It's, it's pretty special. It's a good job. Um, but yeah, you out, you outlined all the other problems. I don't think Mike Brown is going to pay a buyout, um, for a coach. Um, Zach Taylor was smart when he went in there because he, you know, really sold himself as a guy who wanted to be there for a long time, loved the city, you know, this was always the place he wanted to live and everything like that. And so I think that he's got something there. And I think if Mike Brown puts a mediocre product on the field, he's more than satisfied. I mean, for them, he knows he's going to make money. He doesn't really care. And why would you go pay a buyout and then go pay top dollar and do a six-year deal for Joe Brady, which you're probably going to have to do to get him um, to come anywhere. You know, I, I, I think that it's probably just not going to happen, you know, and I think if you're another head coach, again, I mean, we talked about this, you know, you'd have to decide between Zach Taylor and someone like Leslie Frazier or, um, you know, I'm trying to think of like some of the other second chance guys, like, you know, maybe like a Dennis Allen, like a, you know, these guys are the ones that are out there. Dennis Dan Allen, Quinn, McDaniels, Dan yeah. Quinn. Um, yeah. Um, but if you could get Keller Moore and you call Keller Moore and said, Hey man, everyone wants you, but we got, we got Burrow. And I know everyone's selling you on the Rogers dream, but we got Joe Burrow. I'm like, I just, uh, and again, I know it's a cheap family and I know it's not going to happen because they're going to win enough games. They'll probably make the playoffs. But I, I, I just don't think there's a coach right now being more elevated and bailed out of what his thing's supposed to be. His system looks like he studied the Shanahan McVeigh system online and was not in the building day to day. And he's like, yeah, this is what we ran there. And they're like, cool. Yeah. And what and on page three and four is like, whoa, whoa, don't worry about page three and page four. And he's, he's <laughs> never got that far in the meeting. It's like, it's crazy what they're getting away with because he's got special players. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
doesn't seem to be like a, it's 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 not a whole buy-in it's like a half-assed thing but it, it's it's like not it's working because of joe burrow and jamar chase and obviously um you know some of their offensive linemen are playing a little better than i think we expected them to at this point but yeah you're right it's complicated but um Mike Brown is uh, is complicated as well. <laughs> All right, last one is the Kyle Shanahan situation, which has really started to gain steam where people are like, oh, this guy is a fraud all along. It's just the media likes him. He gives good answers in the question. Uh, I don't know what else people throw out there. What else would they say? Some kind of liberal media bias. Is Kyle liberal? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it, you go from a drive to win the Super Bowl to this, and all of a sudden everyone's getting itchy feet, it seems like. I mean, the, the loss of the Cardinals is pretty bad. Um against the Colt McCoy team. Should there be any kind of heat in your mind on Kyle Shanahan? I think there should be a little bit of pressure, but, you know, I think, uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. And it's funny when people, because I've heard that a lot, like, oh, the media just loves Kyle Shanahan because he, because he helps you guys out. If that was the case, like, I mean, I would love that, but uh, look at the draft. He didn't help anybody out. You know, I mean, there was nobody being helped out in that, uh, in that building. And I think that, you know, um, he is one of those, like, I'm the smartest guy in the room and I don't really need you for anything kind of coaches. And that's fine. You know, I, I think I, I would rather a lot of coaches behave like that where it's less political and more about what you think you can do. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think that they had assumed that there was going to be some dark times there. Um, but again, this is sort of a fault of your undoing. You know, he, um, he funnels a lot of stuff through personnel. That's why John Lynch is there. So a lot of this stuff is his call. Um, the depth issues can be placed on him. You know, the fact that the quarterback is not quite ready um, to take over, especially if this year gets lean in a hurry, which it might, I think is on him. And uh, so, you know, I think if you don't come out next year and look good, like really good with Trey Lance, then I think there's going to be an issue. The big concern for me is that the lack of advancement in what they're doing. When you look at McVeigh and everyone says McVeigh is the guy in the McVeigh offense, the McVeigh offense doesn't exist anymore. He ditched it. He was like, yeah, I did that because Jared Goff was not very good. I just didn't want to tell anyone publicly. I told yeah. you by trading him to get Matt Stafford and now it's empty and five wide and we don't run the boot action stuff anymore. We've just decided that's a very small facsimile of our offense. And we run this ISO thing now because we have great players now or great quarterback, at least the Shanahan thing is still, we plug and play at Shanahan. And even when Trey Lance in there, they did some really nifty stuff with hesitation things that they could not do with uh, Garoppolo. But it's still, it's the Shanahan system. And I'm like, the whole league has evolved now. All you hear all, all week now is, oh, everyone's running quarters and it's split safety looks and you know, taking that stuff away. Like there has been little to no advancement. And, and the, the common point is, oh, it's Kyle, the personnel guy, undercutting Kyle, the coach, one of those things here. But I think Kyle, the coach, isn't really helping out either. There's been such a, a lack of development. The only time they showed anything interesting is when Lance has been in the game. And it's like, well, why don't you just run with that then? And just, yeah. you know, every, it's a complete bailout. If he stinks, everyone says, well, it's not your fault, I guess. The guy's not very good. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, I thought this team was going to make a deep run into the playoffs. I, you know, selfishly drafted like Trey Lance on all my fantasy teams. Like I was like, you know, I spent the really the summer, like just so enmeshed in that system because I thought that that was going to be the story of the league this year. And, and, and it's kind of the opposite, right? Where the story has been all these really interesting things that teams have done to take it away. You know, you wrote about the week one and just rushing the quarterback on those boot options and like how, you know, mind blowing that was that, you know, why didn't all these other teams try this in the first place? But, um, 
Yeah, I the promise was always the thing that I heard was Trey Lance is going to change things because he's not Robert Griffin. And so we're not going to do this the Robert Griffin way. We're going to run the Kyle Shanahan system with a true power running quarterback. And that's something that the league has never seen before, um, which is true. But where is it? You know, like, why, yeah. why are we doing it? You know, and so that's like, uh, that's sort of the big question for me is like, uh, what's the reason that we're holding things back still? Because I don't, I, I don't understand why that's the case. And I will say, he looked completely lost against Arizona. It was not good. Uh, Mark Schofield and I, people listening, we did a, a podcast on it. You can go listen to it. But it's like, well, if that's the long-term plan, get that, love that. That's wonderful. Let's discuss that in the off-season. And again, we'll all high-five and have a great time designing stuff. But in the season, then, if you can't run it yet, you've got to adapt the thing you are running. And then just give put it in Jimmy's hands then and say, Oi, we're you're moving on in the off-season. Do you want to go and play for Sean um, Payton and the Saints? Because here's your chance to go and show people that's what you should be doing next year. Like, this is yeah. it. Um, last category I have for you, the surprises. There's always a surprise, Connor. You know, there's someone steps down, something happens, a scandal maybe, perchance. Uh, so I guess we already got the scandal. So maybe there's our surprise of the season. The two I had in here is the Mike McCarthy one in Dallas is interesting because he's got the usurper sat right there. He has to shake hands with the guy every single morning or, or, or fist bump, whatever you do in the COVID era. Kellen Moore is sat right there. He's the darling of the cycle. He's the darling of social media. He's probably the darling of Jerry Jones's life because the guy loves offense. And he sat right there. They're going to let that guy leave the building to go elsewhere. It's got very much Dan Quinn, who's on that staff, funnily enough, Kyle Shanahan vibes where it's like, should the Falcons have just said to Dan Quinn after the Super Bowl, thank you very much. That was lovely. We're now going to roll with Kyle because we think he's the important one to this organization for the next four or five years. It does have a whiff of that about it. And they're going to be so good. And they're going to roll into the playoffs and they'll probably win a playoff game, which in Dallas is a big deal because it's been been a while. Um, Could that happen, you think? Uh, I think that would be one of my surprise scenarios. I think, well, so that's connected to a few things, right? I think if the Dallas job opens, if, if Dallas falters down the stretch, let's say like they're six and two right now. Um, if they somehow either don't make the playoffs or they stumble into the playoffs and losing the first round, um, I think, you know, Mike McCarthy is probably gone. And then the first place you look is new Orleans is Sean Payton going to come back to Dallas. Um, and if that doesn't happen, then you look at Kellen Moore being promoted from within. I think that that, and that could be a couple of your surprises, right. That could open up the saints job, you know, but then the other uh, team that I would look at there is Seattle, you know, and, you know, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying that Pete Carroll should lose his job or that he's a bad head coach or anything like that, but, you know, I think that's one of those situations where, you know, maybe it gets stale. And like Dallas, it's like you have to choose between Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy. You have to choose between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, you know, and you have to pick um, what you want over the next three or four years. And I guess you'd probably go with the quarterback there, you know, and uh, you would make Pete Carroll some sort of cultural advisor, personnel, whatever, whatever, you know, and uh, you would try to maybe work it out that way. But I don't know if that's something that Carol would want to do either. Yeah, you could do the Mike Holgram thing, right? And it's just like you go upstairs and wear cool shirts and just come and high five everyone before. President, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. You name the title, but you don't get to, yeah. to, to call forth down decisions anymore. Um, <laughs> the other one I had similar in that vein is the Belichick thing, which, which hangs over everything. Because you mentioned McDaniels before, and everyone talks about the unwritten agreement that definitely does not exist. McDaniels has no in- indication of what is happening there. He really is just rolling this thing year to year based on the job. 
Um, the Suns on staff, they love Mayo, who you mentioned before. He was so much better than I thought he was going to be at that gig, which is a failing on my part. He's just, a, people in the building say it, like an extraordinary teacher to what you were saying before, rather than just big picture scheme stuff. Would he be in a place where he's like, this might be the right time to hand off? It feels good. We're better than we probably thought we would be. And then this could be the the right moment then to hand it to someone? No. I no. think he's got at least five years left, I think, at least. Yeah, that that's like my, my take right now. I think uh, the way that he is building things, the way that he is making decisions, the way that he is like – even kind of hyper concerned, I think about things that concern his legacy and his perception, the percept public perception of him. I think he knows that he needs to make another playoff run or wants to make a post Brady playoff run. And I don't think he's going to stop until he does that, like a significant post Brady playoff run. That's a good point. The, the other thing they have going for them is everyone's talked about the brain drain. Well, all those guys, if people look through what we've just discussed are about to come home. Because all those guys have been let go. It's happened in college. Patricia's had the year off. He's been doing the advisory stuff. All these guys are going to come back to the nest and they'll all make a run together probably. Uh, well, yeah, season. Patricia's whatever. His buyout ran out, so he'll be able to coach or mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, whatever the situation was there. You know, Bill O'Brien comes back from coaching rehab at Alabama. Um, even if Josh McDaniels leaves, you just plug Bill O'Brien in there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of those people are going to be coming back, you know, and, uh, and it'll be – classic uh early 2000s patriots again all right the last one i got for you is um the guy that you're most in on the brandon staley effect we can call it i guess because I was, I was initially listing candidates as who's a retread who's exciting all that i don't know i i feel like one of todd bowles or raheem morris and vance joseph should all be given a, another shot i think that those are guys i would look at as you mentioned before in chicago a guy who's been and been through it before is there a guy you're standing on the table for either to a specific job or any job saying this is the guy i think everyone should be looking at for this upcoming cycle yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple. I think, you know, Bowles you mentioned, um, and then my top two perpetually have been Hackett and Brian Dable, and for different reasons. I think Brian Dable is a good down-to-down -down coach. Um, I think he's somebody that you probably make a move on if you're going to draft a quarterback or you have a quarterback that you're not excited about or, you know, excited about his development. So I think that there's probably, you know, um, a couple of options for him there. But Hackett is the one, like, to be able to kind of go back and so you know i you know we kind of had a, a little bit of a, a, a stops together along the way like he was at syracuse when i was at syracuse um and so i was able to kind of dig in on some of the stuff that he did there um and you know he started kind of coordinating when i was doing a lot of jacksonville uh, you know stuff as a national reporter um and so it, it just seems like the way that the life that he can breathe into an organization. And I know some of that stuff is cliche uh, for sure. Um, but the life that he can breathe into an organization, I think just cannot be understated. You know, I think this guy is like a fire starter for an organization and, you know, Aaron Rodgers said, nobody in my career, I think has ever brought me the kind of joy day to day that he brings. And being an OC in the Packers is tough. It's a crappy job. You know, you don't necessarily want to be dealing with that guy every day and Hackett brings a lot of energy to work. Um, he's found some cool wrinkles to sort of, again, we talked about diversifying the Shanahan system. You know, he's done a lot of that 
And um, he still has the wet. I mean, his dad helped like invent the West coast offense, you know? So I think he's got his roots in there. Um, and so he can attract a lot of different quarterbacks, a lot of different uh, players, good teacher. So I don't know that's the guy I'm kind of pounding the table for, because I think he could come in immediately and reverse the perception of your organization, which you're going to need if you're hiring a new head coach. I hate to end on a bummer, but is there a guy who's like, is available who you think is going to get hired who you're immediately like, oof, I'm not sure about that one. I'm thinking of if Marvin Lewis gets another crack, Dan Quinn seems like everyone's backing on Dan Quinn as a head coach who I think should just admit to being the best defensive coordinator in the league for the next 20 years. That's what <laughs> I would do if I was Dan Quinn. Um, Dennis Allen getting another go. That is happening a lot right now. No one loves Dennis Allen more than the guy here on this podcast, but I would, I would be swerving very hard on the idea of giving Dennis Allen the keys to my organization. Dennis Allen, uh, I think would be up there for me. I think the two years prior to that, you know, I'd been pitched Steve Spagnolo a ton as a, as a third time, I guess, uh, you know, guy getting a crack at it. And I just didn't think that that would work. Um, I'm trying to think of who else really like, you know, a lot of the young guys, um, I'm pretty excited about, like, I think Mike McDaniel would be an exciting candidate somewhere else. I would like to see him outside of the Shanahan umbrella. And that's something that I think that is going to be worth talking about down the line is some of those guys getting out and getting to do their own thing a little bit. You know, I think it's a lot about Kyle there and, you know, if they could kind of flex their own muscle and show some of their own ideas out outside of there, I think that, that they could be pretty interesting. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, Joe Brady, Kellen Moore. Like I'm, I'm excited about this series of young guns. Like I think we're, we're kind of headed into another golden age of offense really. And I think we have a lot of good coaches there. So, but yeah, I, I just think to, to, to do the retread thing at this point is sort of pointless, right? Unless you're getting Todd Bowles uh, or maybe Vance Joseph, you know, but otherwise it, to me, it, it, it makes no sense to try to retread a head coach at this point when there's so many more interesting and new ideas out there. All right, then, Connor Raw. People can read you, Sports Illustrated. They probably already do. They can follow you on Twitter, helpfully. Connor Raw. It's just your handle. Um, <laughs> this has been fun. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me.